Jews who've come in and discredited him and um, you know he, he feels the need to boast in order to get a hearing but that's very awkward and uncomfortable for him he doesn't like doing that and so really this whole section from chapters 10 to 13 is dealing with Paul's relationship to these guys who uh, are just uh, you know a mess and at this point, we're in 11.6, I believe that he's answering accusations or things they've said to sort of run him down. So would somebody read 11 verse, uh, chapter 11, verses 6 to 12? Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted, because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. So, in verse 6, Paul says, you know, I may be unskilled in speech, but I'm not in knowledge. That makes me think that the thing they were saying about him is he's not a good speaker. Like he's not eloquent, you know, he's not brilliant, he's not engaging, you know, he's kind of rough in his speaking, he's kind of simplistic, he's not very uh, sophisticated, you know, that kind of stuff. And Paul's response to that is, well, my content's good, you know, I, I have something to say, I may not say it as, you know, polished as what you guys think I should, but but what I'm saying is, is worth something. It's kind of like, you know, which is more important, the wrapping or the contents, the uh, form or the substance? You can tell from this and other things, Paul was not trying to impress people with his manner. He wasn't into rhetoric and eloquence and maybe drama or display or a show or whatever. You know, you, you kind of wonder, you know, what, what do I all sound like? You know, but, but evidently not something that impressed these men. But the fact is, when you become eloquent and just very captivating and you use all these rhetorical techniques, it tends to draw attention to how you say it instead of what you're saying. And he wanted the attention to be on the Lord and not on himself. So that's his answer to that one. Then, of all things, you know, when people want to criticize, they will find something. And so they criticize him for not accepting money. <laughs> you know, we understand criticizing because people want money, but criticizing somebody because they preach for free? But look at it. He said, did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? Was that sinful? Now, what in the world were they saying? I'm assuming they were saying something like, you know, he isn't a real apostle, and he knows it. 
Because if he's a real apostle, you'd have to pay him. I mean, you understand that the better the speaker, the higher the pay. And he knows he's not saying anything worth anything. I mean, that's why he doesn't accept any money. He'd feel guilty if he took money for something like that. I assume it was something along that line that they were saying to him. Now, Paul says, you know, I received money from other churches. And because he was determined not to be a burden to them. So it wasn't like Paul thought it was wrong for a church to pay a preacher or even to receive money. He does. It's not like he feels like he's inadequate and it would be wrong for him to accept help from other churches. He's done that. But he's not going to receive it from the Corinthians. And he does not plan on changing that procedure anytime soon. He says in verse 10, As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. That is, I am not going to receive money from the Achaian churches, Corinth primarily. Why? Because I do not love you? Wow. I mean, can you imagine being accused of not loving somebody because you don't exploit them and make them pay you? Paul endured all the travel and the labor and the enemies to bring the gospel of salvation to Corinth, and he did it without charging them anything. If that isn't love, what is it? So he just says, God knows I do. I mean, how are you going to answer some of those accusations? It's just, it's just so infuriating. You know, you're putting yourself out because you love those people, and they're saying he doesn't really love us. If he loved us, he'd take our money. You know, it's just like, it's hard to believe people said that. But people will find something to criticize. These false teachers wanted to run, wanted to run Paul down. And it was hard to find, you know, material to run him down with. That's the best they can come up with, it sounds to me like. If they had anything better, surely they'd have used it. Now, there's a, there's a, another angle on this. And it's verse 12. And verse 12 says a lot, but when you first read it, it sounds like double talk. He said, but what I'm doing I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they're boasting. Now, what Paul says is, what I'm doing I will continue to do. That is, I'm not going to take your money. Why not? So that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they're boasting. In other words, the false teachers wanted Paul to take money too. So that they wouldn't look so bad. Paul's stance of not receiving money from the Corinth from the Corinthians made the false teachers look greedy, which they were. And they didn't like that, so they wanted to shame Paul into taking money so that they could say, well, we're just like Paul, he takes money, we take money. You know, uh, so that's really what's going on with them. That's probably the larger reason why they zeroed in on that. They certainly expect to be paid, but it's kind of embarrassing that Paul doesn't and they do. And so if they can, you know, get Paul to accept the money, then they're kind of on an even uh, basis. Um... You know, and Paul's not about to surrender that advantage to his rivals in Corinth. He's not going to lift uh, uh, them up to the same level as himself. You know, as long as Paul doesn't take any money from the Corinthian church, at least as far as they're concerned, the false teachers want money, maybe demand money, and Paul refuses it.
But you can, you can expect that there are times when accusations will be incredibly unfair. And brethren like the Corinthians that you've loved and cared for and sacrificed for for so long will have to leave them. It's so disappointing. It's disheartening. There are going to be plenty of times you're going to work and love and care about and serve people who are going to turn around and stab you in the back. Who are going to turn around and doubt you and be suspicious of you and make false accusations against you. And we're going to still love them and care about them and serve them because that's what Jesus does for us. How many times have we heard him how many times have we disappointed him? How many times have we messed up again the very same way? And certainly not appreciated all the sacrifices he made for us. And he still loves us and cares about us and serves us and seeks us and wants us. So I, I, this is just such an encouraging attitude on Paul's part. You know, I would have gotten frustrated and said, very well then. Didn't want to be here anyway. <laughs> You know, just take your false teachers and be happy. Paul didn't do that. Thoughts and comments? Yes? So you have Paul who was living the good of God's life, Mark Paul, now we see him as not uh, making money, maybe I'm going to farm this to the church of him, thinking that his whole sanity would be true to me, if you think that Paul might have that whole thing. They did. We'll see that in chapter 12. They did think he had an ulterior motive. And they did think it sounded too good to be true. At least the false teachers were trying to insinuate, you don't really think Paul's doing this and not getting any money, do you? And we'll see in chapter 12 what they were accusing him of along that line. Yes. Other thoughts? Yes, Jason. You're in the wrong place. So... Oh man, it's long. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Probably was good anyway. Okay. Uh, so Paul was obviously not a teacher. Uh, you know, if, I, I imagine that if a lot of us, if, if someone said, you know, it would really make me happy if you would just take my money. I mean, if that's intimidating, oh, well, okay, if that would make you happy, you know, or if this will help the gospel be spread, because I don't want to stand in the way of anyone receiving the gospel. Yeah, good point. Paul is not going to let them pressure him into doing something he doesn't think is the right approach there, just to please them. You know what would have happened if he took the money. They'd have criticized him for taking the money. You know how the, there are no win situations. If somebody wants to criticize, they're going to find some. If you do it, if you don't do it, if you sometimes do it, it doesn't really matter. So I, I, I doubt that it would have really made a difference ultimately. But a good point, Carl. It's interesting how selfless Paul is. Obviously, here he's not taking the money, but here's a church that obviously had means; they they could easily support it. But he's taking money from a church that had a difficult time. Yeah, absolutely. He was so unselfish and in everything he did, just thinking of the best interest of the brethren, what the Lord wanted. Yes. Okay. All right, how about thirteen to fifteen? 
So what did Paul really think? Wow. You know, these are the guys that are there in Corinth uh, courting the Corinthians that the Corinthians are half going along with. And uh, Paul believes in calling a spade a spade. You know, he says, such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. They may be the most eminent apostles, but they are false apostles, and Paul doesn't hesitate to say so. You know, it's possible to, to, uh, to, uh, to, to value toleration so much that we make no clear distinctions between right and wrong. And Paul did not suffer from that problem. He makes it very clear who these guys are and what they are. And he says it's not a big surprise either. Because Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. The truth is appearances are deceptive. False teachers sometimes seem very godly, very righteous, very caring there's a reason why wolves, wolves wear sheep's clothing. You know, you can palm yourself up as a sheep better if you're dressed up in sheepskin. You know, uh, Satan tries to disguise himself, his servants disguise themselves. So we've got to be very careful not to be impressed with superficial attractiveness and really examine the character and examine the teaching. You know, is what they said really from God or not? And, and there's a lot of people that are impressed by a teacher that's really deceptive and dishonest and misleading. And they swallow what he says and they follow him. Because they don't really look underneath the, the sheepskin to find out it's a wolf. And, and But the disguises don't fool the Lord. He says, whose end will be according to their deeds. You do Satan's work, you're going to receive Satan's fate. That's the way it's going to be. God knows. So, Paul is not hesitant to really say the truth about these imposters. They are false apostles. Thoughts and comments. Joe. Some of the strength in the text, calling them apostles, recognizing that here now he's revealing, they're really sent forth from Satan. Yeah, good point. I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, they're false apostles. They're apostles in the sense that Satan sent them out. Yeah, that's a good point. We've got Revelation 2 as well, that they tried those who said they were apostles and are not. But yeah, that's, that, that's true. Jason? Sometimes uh, false teachers are so well disguised that they fool themselves and not realizing that they are messengers of Satan, but that they are actually doing the Yeah, you're right. Sometimes they deceive themselves. I think that is exactly right. That a deceiver often becomes one of his own victims. 
He is really uncomfortable with this. Can't you tell that? Boasting is just not natural for him. It's amazing how we often don't feel inhibited in that way and we can boast with total composure. You know, we're looking for the opportunity. Paul, it was just everything he could do to do this. And and it's like he, he can't apologize enough to get started. You know, he keeps saying, this is so foolish. I'm, I, basically, he's, he's saying, I'm sorry I have to do this. I wish I didn't. It's really awkward and it's really foolish and, and all that. I'm not sure it would have crossed the Corinthians' mind, minds that Paul's boasting was foolish if he hadn't said so so often. I don't think they thought of things like that. Paul wants them to understand boasting like this is foolishness. And when the false teachers do it, it's foolishness for them. But he feels like it's just necessary. You know, it, it says many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. It's like I've got to have my turn. You know, it's like you don't get into Corinth without, you know, writing your own advertisement. And so I'm going to have to do the same thing. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Reminds me so much of Proverbs 26. You know that passage where he says in verse 4, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will also be like him. Answer a fool as his folly deserves, that he not be wise in his own eyes. One, the first verse says, don't answer him according to his folly. The next verse says, do answer him according to his folly. Every once in a while, skeptics point to that as a contradiction of the Bible, as if the writer of Proverbs couldn't figure out he said opposite things in two adjacent verses. You know, the point is, when you're dealing with a fool, nothing works right. You know, either way you go, it's going to be a problem. And uh, there are probably some times that it's better off just to let the fool babble on and not and just ignore him. And there are some times he needs an answer. And this is the time Paul feels like an answer is needed. He's going to have to take off the gloves and fight at their level. And 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 now, isn't this also a measure of Paul's self-sacrifice and self-giving? That he's willing to even stoop to this, to boast when he's so uncomfortable about it, to try to get the Corinthians back. You know, he, he's painfully aware of how foolish it is. But, but they need to have to listen to him, and if it takes him talking about himself and reciting his resume even though it's really awkward and foolish he's willing to do it there's a time to defend the authenticity of our work even at the risk of being thought as somebody who's bragging on ourselves there's a lot of times that it's not helpful there's a lot of times that self-defense is just not the thing because there's no value in it but there are some times that to get a hearing we may have to say that I remember this is what came just popped in my mind. Uh, there was a situation a number of years ago where there was uh, a, a young man who needed some some help, and I realized that, and it was a really awkward situation. It ended up with me basically in his home talking to his dad, knowing that I had to impress his dad enough to let his son study the Bible with me, and uh, that was really awkward. About an hour and a half of, in a sense, trying to let him understand who I was and what I was about so that he would be comfortable with me helping his son. It worked, but boy, that was uncomfortable. But it needed to happen in that particular situation for the benefit of his son 
I needed to be willing to do something that I would not normally do. And uh, there are times when I think that's the case. And they obviously are quite tolerant of the foolish. You know, he says, you being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. I think that's a bit of sarcasm. You know, they have this pattern of listening to fools. So what's another among so many, right? You know, and uh, you realize that there wouldn't be so much boasting if there wasn't such an audience for it. You know, that kind of tells you about the Corinthians. But then what he says in verse 20, just practically beats anything you've ever seen. He says, you tolerate anyone who enslaves you, anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. They love spiritual bullies. They were impressed by aggressiveness and domination and haughtiness. These guys were eating them out of the house and home, taking advantage of them, beating them up. Paul said, I'm ashamed to say I've been awful weak by comparison. You know, I wouldn't believe this, but there was an experience I had, you know, probably 30 years ago, that really opened my eyes up. We knocked on the door of this family and started studying with them. A nice, you know, family, younger family. And the studies were going pretty good, but they kept talking about the church they went to and their pastor, their pastor, their pastor, and their pastor. And they just, oh, they couldn't say enough good about their pastor. And in the course of time, they gave us a tape, I mean, that was back in the cassette days, of, uh, of a sermon of their pastor, because they just loved their pastor. This was their pastor talking to his own church. I have never heard anything like it. It was the most arrogant, insulting. He was just lambasting them. He was tearing them up and putting them down, just disparaging it was like, who would put up with that? If I tried to reach like that at Burgersville, you know, I'd get run out of the city. He was just, that was the most outrageous thing I'd heard. Because he was just, it was big me and you guys are trash. He was talking to his own members. And the way he did it was just, I, I couldn't, I, it's hard for me to describe how smart alecky it was. We eventually arranged a face-to-face meeting and he was worse in person than he was on the tape. Wow. It was really difficult, very intimidating. That was his, that was his method. But what impressed me, what surprised me is, they were so impressed by him. And I think the idea is, he must be good. He thinks he is. You know, he, he, some people are impressed by intimidation and bullying. It's, it's kind of like an abused woman who just goes from abusive man to abusive man. Like, she craves the abuse. You know, because he must be really tough, he must be really good, he must be really special. Look how smart Alec he is, look how much he bullies. That's a hard thing to understand why somebody feel that way. I think that's the way these false teachers were. I don't know if they were literally beating up on him, but I suspect they were verbally. And the Corinthians like, wow, did you hear that? You know, there's a lot of arrogant people in the world. Don't mistake arrogance and self-confidence. For truth. You know, people who tell the truth don't have to be smart, Alex. They can be very calm and very patient. So that's, that's the way they were. Now think about this. We also face the danger of being impressed by the wrong things. 
We're impressed by things that are exciting and interesting, or things that are sophisticated and cultured, or things that are authoritarian and demanding. You know, and people who preach and teach the Lord may seem less impressive. You know, when people fall away, it's to something that that biblically and logically isn't right, but it's impressive because we're impressed by the wrong things. So I, I really think this helps us examine ourselves. What are we attracted to? Are we attracted to meekness and godliness and truth? Or are we attracted to a bunch of bullies like this? Thoughts and comments? Carl. So you're saying, like, right into what he's going to boast about, we're impressed by it because we see, you know, what a servant. The Corinthians, if they're Carl Munn, it's like, he's going to boast about that. <laughs> and can you imagine the false teachers ever coming within a mile of boasting about those kind of things? Yeah. Other thoughts? <laughs> so, yes, Austin. <coughs> And because we're not showing off and we're not trying to impress and we don't have this aura of, you know, self-promotion and all that. Those are things that, you know, the world is attracted to. You want to, you got to sell yourself. You got to be somebody. And pretty soon we bought into that concept and that, that lifestyle. And, and we'll impress people that way. There'll be plenty of Corinthians who think, wow. And, and we're, we, we like that. It boosts our ego. So this really, you know, goes to the heart of our own self-image and who we're trying to be and what our goals are. What are we seeking? Joe. Two thoughts. One, I'm glad we don't have the problem with American politics. Um, <laughs> we need that comment. I'm glad we don't have this uh, problem in American politics, yes. But I wonder if some of our own languages betray this weakness. Uh, you talk about where somebody's from, who's your preacher? We want to have somebody that's in charge, somebody that we can impress people with, a name or whatever. Yes, we do that, yeah. We want to know who's your preacher or whatever. From the standpoint of... We almost want to show off certain people. You know, when I first went to Brazil on my first trip before I moved there, we were with some, I would call them brethren, though we didn't see eye to eye on several things, and and um, we went out to pizza together. There were some Americans who were missionaries in Brazil, and they, uh, they were excited about us being there. You know, they hadn't had many other Americans around, and they were, they were young, younger than we were, I guess, really. And uh, they had just come out of missions class in one of the uh, universities. And they were telling us what they learned in missions class. And, and that they learned that you had to attract the upper class and the rich and the influential. Because they could always reach down, but the lower classes couldn't reach up. And so they were so impressed by the fact that they, they had a, a senator 
who actually was in one of their worship services. And, and they had a bank vice president, and they'd just been to a party with some of the brethren, and they had some government officials that were there and things like that, and they were so excited that they were really reaching these big shots, and, and they were impressed with that. It's like, I thought, wow, wow. I mean, I don't know what that missions class taught, but how about looking at who Jesus attracted, who he was seeking? I mean, why do we want to impress people with ourselves? You know, I want to make sure you know my church is really something. You know, look at these big shots. You know, we've got this big name preacher. We've got this. We've got this. We're not trying to impress him with the Lord. We're trying to impress him with ourselves. you got to forget that. Yes, Henry. Big difference between Paul having his confidence in God and the self-confidence of these false teachers. Well, Paul's finally going to do it. It took him a long time to get around to it. And I wonder if you couldn't just almost imagine what he'd say. If you were Paul, what would you boast about? You know, if you really wanted to kind of recite your resume... And kind of show off your credentials. What, what could you talk about? How many churches you'd planted? Maybe the size of the congregations you'd preached for? How many people you converted? All the places that you'd gone to? How many continents? How many countries? All the books you'd written? The money you'd raised? The miracles you'd worked? The crowds you'd drawn? The vision you've seen? And so forth. I think he could come up with a good resume. So let's hear what he has to say. 22 to 33. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane, I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things... There is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the ethnarch under Eretus, the king, was guarding the city of the uh, Demosthenes in order to seize me. And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and so escaped his hands. Wow. That's not what I would have expected. I don't think I'd have felt the need to apologize over and over again before I said that. 
You know, isn't that interesting? Even when he comes to boasting, he's boasting in his weaknesses. It's even hard for Paul to do that. He just doesn't like to draw attention to himself. He starts out with his heritage. You know, he had an exemplary pedigree. Nobody was more Jew than he was. That makes me think the false teachers were Judaizing teachers of some sort. Jewish false teachers, at least. And they probably were presenting their, uh, you know, ethnic identity as a uh, big calling card. Well, there are no more Jews than Paul was. And then he goes on from there. He says, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, that's the truth. Think about all the hard work Paul did. And what have we ever done in comparison? And then he starts quantifying an avalanche of hardships and disasters and whatever. Kind of, kind of almost makes you dazed. I mean, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was shipwrecked, I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I fled the deep. You know, it's just kind of a series of things and how many times he had this and that and the other thing. Paul's life, I'll tell you one thing, it was a lot more colorful than you ever would have realized from the book of Acts. And it's uh, pretty tough in the book of Acts, right? You know, you think of how many times he came about that close to dying. Um, and, and wow, I mean, we don't read about all those meetings. Some of them, but not many of them. You know, he's beaten with rods in Acts 16, but I think that's the only beating with rods we, we know about him going through. We do know about the stoning. That was in Lystra. That was the one, evidently, in Acts 14. And we know about a shipwreck, right? He said he was shipwrecked three times. We, we've got a record of shipwreck in Acts 27. After Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, that would have at least been number four. <laughs> you know, no wonder Paul didn't want to go on, you know, when he was there at that point. You know, when he gone through three shipwrecks, he didn't really need another one. Well, I guess he did. But, uh, and the night and the day he spent the deep, I assume that means probably hanging on to wreckage for a whole day before they rescued him from one of the shipwrecks. Wow, could you imagine that? Out in the high seas, I guess, I don't know. I mean, there's just, wow, how did he live through it? And, and then, all the dangers. Wow, did you get that in verse 26? I mean, he really lived a dangerous life. There was no security. He, he included just about every geographic area he traveled through. He was in danger everywhere all the time. You know, it wasn't it wasn't that easy to travel. Some of the travel that he did, it was it was risky. It was dangerous. You know, we live in a very secure environment by comparison. You think about our travel. I mean. There's a brother at Barbersville who's always just extremely worried about me every time I'm on a plane. And uh, I think he prays for me a lot, so I appreciate that. But you think about all the maintenance on the plane, the two pilots and all their health tests and all the rigors. That, he wasn't dealing with all that. It was way more dangerous. Um, you know, we're just in a relatively secure environment, especially in America. I mean, we get really pretty upset 
when there's a terrorist deal that knocks off a few people out of 330 million. I'm not belittling that. I'm just saying, by comparison, in most places of the world today, and in Paul's world back then, it wasn't nearly that secure. It was way more dangerous. And notice the dangers among false brethren. You wish the Corinthians were not so hospitable to the kind of people who would have threatened Paul. Are we willing to risk more? I mean, we would say, there was a time, you know, I won't make this to anybody who would know anything about where this was, there's nowhere around here. But I was with a, a very fine man, I think, a good elder. We were talking about evangelism, and I suggested that we do a little experiment and knock on some doors. He really didn't think anybody would study the gospel when you knocked on doors, and I thought they would. And uh, so I suggested we go to a relatively poor subdivision or trailer park or whatever. And I suggested we take maybe some kids with us, some young people. And he had a couple of granddaughters that would have been perfect for that. He didn't want that. And we did end up taking a kid. I talked to his parents and they were thrilled. But but it's like he was just so scared of, of going up to the door because this was this was the kind of subdivision I lived in. You know, it's like, this is the poor subdivision and you're afraid of this? And we had wonderful reception. Wow. Set up several studies. It was really encouraging. We are just, we're incredibly scared of nearly everything. It's amazing how much we protect ourselves. We just, we have the luxury of being in really secure environments. I think we need to risk more. I think we need to be willing to be in more dangerous deals. Not everybody who needs the gospel looks real friendly. You know, some of them look a little like hoods. Some of them live in kind of some lesser places that maybe there's... You know, some dangers associated. My experience is, as long as I'm friendly and I care about the people, I personally don't feel in a lot of danger in those places. I've been in a lot of places, and I've never really even been threatened. But what if I were? Paul sure was. Didn't stop him. They needed the gospel. I'm just impressed with that in Paul. And, and then look at 27. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. You think about the difficult conditions he endured. I mean, could some nights without sleep, not having enough to eat, not having enough to drink. You know, cold and exposure, I don't like being cold. I, I'm pretty cold-natured. I like cold weather. But, you know, I don't like to be cold. You know, I, I, can, you know I've had a few nights here, there, yonder, where for one reason or another, I, you know, I was really cold all night. Well, that's uncomfortable. I'll make sure I got a better cover the next night or, you know, whatever. I mean, we're just really... I mean, you know, I mean, when 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 it gets a little chilly in the house, I mean, turn up the heat a little bit, you know. <laughs> you just think about what Paul went through. I mean, it was just hard. It was a hard life. I don't think he's complaining here. I think he's just saying, "All right, I've got a boast. Here's my here's my here's what I've done." But but I think the most incredible thing about this is verse twenty eight. Apart. 
apart from such external things. There's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. You know, if, you know, this is, I mean, whatever all this was, what, what's really hard is worried about the brethren. That, these things are just, you know, kind of incidental. You know, they come up once in a while. There's no big deal. But constantly unrelenting my worry for the churches, that's what made it hardest on him. And I bet you I know which church was on the top of his worry list. You know, the needs of the churches bothered him more than all that he went through. He says, who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? I, I, I just, it's just amazing. How could you go through all this? And what you, what really is hard is how much you care about these brethren. How much they're struggling. Wow. We seem so selfish by comparison. That's just, that's just amazing. You know, Paul, there's a brother who's weak. And he feels weak with him. Brothers led him to sin and it, it worries him. He cares about them. You know, this boasting, if you want to call it that, it wasn't even in the same league. It wasn't, they weren't playing the same game with these false brethren. I mean, it's a whole different look at every outlook on everything. I hope this really helped the Corinthians. I hope suddenly they realized, wow, Chase. You know, I look at this verse in verses 23 Paul was not looking for some comfortable pastorate with a very nice group of loving brethren that he could just settle down and enjoy. I mean, Paul was on the front line spreading the gospel and caring about people and risking it all. I, I don't know. If, I, this is just, wow. I'm nowhere near this. And I think it, for most of us we could say that. This really challenges us. And, and you know, if he says, if I have to boast, I'll boast of what, what pertains to my weakness. I mean, he's not going to boast about the things we started out talking about that he could have boasted about. And then all of a sudden he comes up with this deal in Damascus where he was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped. You're thinking, well, that's kind of odd to tack on there at the end, right? Maybe not so much. I think there's a couple reasons he does this. I really think this prepares for chapter 12, and we'll talk about that a little bit when we get to chapter 12. But here I think is part of this, from what I've read, I have no idea how to pronounce this, but there was the Corona Morales, which was a coveted military award given to the first soldier that was able to get up and over the wall. Well, Paul was the first one down the wall. <laughs> His war story was just the opposite. Again, I think humiliating, humbling, you know, kind of an embarrassing uh, episode. I suppose it was there in Acts 9 when he escaped from Damascus. 
and uh, he had to do it hitting in the basket somebody let down to the wall so uh, you know this is this is what he's going to boast about uh, there are so many lessons in this I mean I'll tell you one thing we have no business ever feeling sorry for ourselves you know we get our feelings hurt over what we get all upset because people treat us how we gotta stop that there is no business our getting our feelings hurt because somebody didn't treat us right. We haven't ever been through anything like this. What do we get so discouraged by? Understand there are things that discourage us. But, but reading this ought to inspire us to keep going. We'll have some discouraging moments. But Paul sure had them. And we just need way more unselfish concern for others. We need to get our mind off of ourselves and care about brethren and care about the Lord and care about the lost. And that's got to be our passion. That's got to be our life. If we can read this and not be just deeply challenged, we just need to read it over and over again and pray about it. And ask for the Lord to forgive us and to transform us. What's the Lord worth? I mean, I believe a non-Christian would read this and say, that doesn't make sense. Why would anybody do that? Would you go through this? Why would Paul? And I think we ought to work harder. You know, we ought to devote ourselves more. We ought to wear ourselves out more. In life is not about having fun, and being comfortable, and enjoying everything, and being happy all the time. It's no wonder we're depressed. That's, that's not the life God designed for us to have. He intends for us to give, to serve, to sacrifice. The Jesus we call ourselves by the name of Christians. There's a Jesus who gave up all that to suffer and serve and sacrifice. That's our mission. It's an amazing passage. I mean, wow. You just always feel like you read things like this and you try to talk about them. And anything you say pretty much diminishes. You know, we just need to read and think about and meditate on this. Thoughts and comments. could he have endured these things without the Lord what he says glorifies the Lord not himself good point
Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, if we if we ever went through something like uh, this, even one thing, you know, we'd wear that as a badge for the rest of our life. But, you know, I'm the guy that uh, you know this happened to. You know, I'm I, I'm I'm the guy that uh, didn't get his luggage for a week after I traveled somewhere. You know, do that. You know, I had to wear the same clothes for three days. You know, whatever. You know, it's amazing the kind of things that uh, are just the major crises of our lives, right? You know, if ever any one of these things happened to us, we'd never get over it. Good point, Jason. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you'd gone through all this, you would be chomping at the bit for the chance to tell your story, give your testimony or whatever. You know, Paul only does it reluctantly because he felt like he had to, Eric. <laughs> Eric said you can see why he'd want a physician to travel with him. <laughs> you think he'd need a boost professional services from time to time, right? <laughs> Uh, good point. Uh, he says he was beaten times without number, and then five times the thirty-nine lashes, three times the rod, but the beatings in general, times without number. Wow. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, it, it may very well be that the Lord supernaturally kept him alive, because you would think that there's just only so much of that a body can take. I mean, you wonder how many broken bones he had. You know, I mean, wow, I wonder if his back, I mean, eventually, I don't know how you get scars on scars on scars without creating a real problem, Sam. I seem to recall hearing something about what we know about Paul through some secular sources that he actually looked pretty disfigured, um, and he's kind of a scary person to look at, I'm not sure if you've heard anything. I have not, I don't know. Yeah. Would it make Yeah, it would. Yes. Yeah, good point. Yeah, that there were plenty of people who died by scourging, and so the fact that Paul had it done five times, wow, you would you would assume the Lord has enabled him to stay alive uh, when you probably wouldn't ordinarily have been able to survive that. Yes. Yes. Good. Good point. The Lord told Ananias when he went to Paul, "I'll show him how many things I have to suffer for my sake." That's right. Acts nine, and he sure did. Yes. This list also reminded me of in First Corinthians fifteen when he wrote, "We are of all men most to be pitied." But the beginning part of that sentence is, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only. So he had that hope of the resurrection that just got him through all of those things. Yeah, it's hope in the resurrection got him through all of that. It was good. It's 15, 19, good point. Carl? 
it's kind of joking we said it'd be nice to have a physician along with it. But think about the testament to Timothy's character and perhaps even more to his mother's character. They saw Paul stones. And then she allowed Timothy to travel with him. That's Timothy's favorite good I thought about that. Yeah. Timothy traveled with Paul and he was from the place where Paul was stoned at. You wonder if he'd seen it. He surely had talked to plenty of people who had. And then you think about his mother letting him go. And you realize that Timothy, Paul writes to him and says, let no man look down on you for being so young in 1 Timothy 4.12, probably a dozen years after he started going with Paul. So if you're imagining that he was saying that to him when he was 30, he was maybe 18 when Paul took him. Wow. That was a, that, that took some guts on Timothy's part and a lot of uh, faith on his mother's part to send it. Right? Yeah, it's interesting. He said, you know, apparently this was new information for them. Isn't it amazing? Paul hadn't talked about this a lot when he was at Corinth. Caleb. Yeah, good point. Yeah, he goes through all this hardship, and then he turns around and has all the worry for the churches. That's, wow, it's a double whammy. Good point. Jason. Amazing the transformation in Paul and what the gospel did in him. Amen. Joe. So we've kind of spoken about all these horrible things that happened to him, and then the uh, verse 28, his daily preoccupation with the churches. Those aren't separable. He wouldn't go through those things if he didn't have the daily concern. And then I think that's the challenge for us. Yes. Yeah, good point. Yeah, Paul wouldn't have gone through all the sufferings if he didn't have this daily concern for the churches. So that's our challenge. And that's our problem. Carla. Uh, a fine example that he is he's really uh, focused into the spiritual things and spiritual goals is when he, when he was about to getting to the end of his life. I can't remember exactly the chapter, but he didn't want to die yet. Uh, he didn't want to go to heaven yet because he feels like he needs to stay on earth to help more of our brethren. So he's actually willing to suffer even more 
Yeah, in Philippians 1, he wanted to stay on the earth to be able to serve people, which meant he was willing to suffer even more for their sake. Good point. Eric? Okay, uh, he left Damascus when the person in authority wanted to get him, but he says to submit to the government in Romans 13. Uh, Paul didn't seem to have any problem with fleeing persecution. And Jesus said to do that in Matthew 10. I'm not sure that interferes with obedience to the government, uh, but fleeing persecution is a good idea. And Paul wasn't trying to become a martyr. He wasn't seeking to suffer. You know, and I think he did take precautions, if you can say that. I mean, certainly to flee persecution and to move on to the next town when it was necessary. On the other hand, he didn't back down from proclaiming Christ. Yes, Rob. Randy. Satan tried to stomp out Christianity by persecuting, he only managed to spread it, and when Paul went had to flee Damascus or wherever he fled, he continued preaching and teaching that's exactly right, that's that's Paul, that's the transformation of the gospel also you know, sometimes we worry about the risk of telling people the, the trouble being Christian, you know maybe it's a divorce or remarriage situation or a lifestyle situation, and we, we sort of shut away from talking Yeah, we might uh, want to soft pedal some of these things so we didn't scare people off from being a Christian. Think about Jesus. He said, count the cost. You know, don't think it's going to be easy. He, he warned people it would be difficult. Uh, you know, so trying to uh, make Christianity look easier than it is is not the right thing. That's not how we attract people. 
Okay, we're going, Ryan's going to lead us in some songs uh, dealing with some of the 